Okay, you guys there? John chapter 15. Follow with me as I read the first 17 verses, and then we will pray, and then we will get into it together. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room the night he's going to be betrayed. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you love one another. And Father, we ask that you would use this morning to set in our hearts the vision that you want for your people every day, every year. Lord, that we would understand that it's your will that we grow that you have said that your people have been predestined to be conformed into the image of your Son, that you are growing us in that direction. And I pray, Father, for all of us here that do know you, Lord, that we would know this is our destiny, is to be made like Jesus. So, Father, let it be our goal. And I pray, Father, for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would show them Jesus, that you would open their eyes by your Holy Spirit to how great you are, how good you are, how real you are. And that, Father, that their 2019 would be one where they've come to know and to walk with the one true God. Please, Lord, we pray you would do above and beyond what we could ask or think this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. So, 
This is the Sunday where we try to sort of set the pace for the next year. 2018 has been quite eventful. Uh, there's been some, some lows, there's been some highs. It's, it's been a year for me that's been particularly trying, if I'm honest. But what's been amazing is in through, through all the trials that, that we've kind of gone through corporately, that I've gone through or we've gone through as a family individually, it's amazing to see how God continues to work. I mean, God is just always at work. It's funny, to, it's easy for us to forget that. We can think, okay, things aren't happening the way I want them to happen. And we can kind of have this thought that's almost impulsive where we think, God, why aren't you doing something? Because we're assuming if it's not happening the way we want, God's not doing something. But God is at work. God's doing something. We've actually had a great year. If you, if, you, if you kind of put on paper what's happened this year, we've had a great year. We've had, as a, as a church, we've had uh, the highest attendance we've ever had. We've averaged over 160 people every Sunday, except today. We, we, we've had uh, the highest amount of uh, resources come in. You guys have been generous. God's been faithful to provide for his church. We, we've seen people come to faith, make first-time professions of faith. We've seen people uh, be baptized this year. We've seen God do some really great stuff. We've seen more people get into house groups in this last quarter than we have in the years previous. There's a lot of good things happening. God's added people to our church that have totally blessed us by what they've brought in. God's done some really great things. And it's funny because when I was praying about, okay, Lord, you've done good things. It's been a rough year. What do you want to do? What, 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 is, what should we be looking forward to in 2019? What do you want? The only thing that really came to me is, I want you to grow. I just want you to grow. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's not very, it's kind of bland, isn't it, Lord? Just grow? You just, that's all? You just want us to grow? What does that mean? And, and we do have some specific goals by this. We, we do want to, as a church, we want to grow in attendance. And, and here's what I, I, I want to be clear about. What I mean by this is we want to see unchurched people and de-churched people be brought into servants where they can be discipled, where they can, they can learn to be Jesus followers who know how to make Jesus followers. We're not looking to have transfer growth, okay? We're happy when people move into the city and choose servants, that's great, but we're not looking to get people from other churches. That's not what we want. But we do want to see us grow. We want to see more people growing as disciples, multiplying. We do have that goal. We, we want to grow in resource, you know, many of you guys know, God bless us this year with a building. God's provided a building for us. We have our first official work party on the 9th of February. Put it on your calendars. If you get an email, if you actually open the email, you'd know when that's going to happen. Um, we really encourage everyone to show up for that. There's going to be a men's breakfast right before that. Only men can come that. Sorry. So men get the bacon. Everyone else gets the work. That's what happens. Um, and and we're, we're really excited about what God's going to do with that building. It's going to be a second site for us. Uh, Lord willing, by the end of December, we'll have a church service here uh, on Sunday morning. We'll have a church service there on Sunday evening. We're excited about what God's doing with that. 
Um, yeah, we, we just, we, we want to pray that God gives that increase, that we would trust him for that increase. In fact, some of you know the story. That's kind of how we got the building, that God was challenging my heart about being more expectant in prayer, not claiming anything, but saying, God, I want to ask and not leave it to fate. I want to ask specifically and expect that you want to answer specifically. And you know that when I ask God, I really, we really need a couple buildings that day, I got a communication with someone that said, we want to give you a church building. It was like, wow, okay, Lord, I really should be expected, shouldn't I? And so I want to be expected. We should be expected and say, God, we want to grow, and we want to be specific about what we're asking about how you want us to grow. But those things are, those things are fine, and it's interesting. I, I, I was doing a, some, some Googling this week about sort of church growth. You know what's funny? Almost everything talks about those first things. And it talks about, how can you grow your church in number? How can you grow your church in resource? These aren't bad things, but it's almost like that's all they talk about. But really, when Jesus talks about growth, the growth that he says we should expect, the growth he says we should pursue, it's really a growth in love. That this is the thing that we should be praying for, trusting God for, pursuing by the power of the Holy Spirit, is to grow in love. And this is what we want to talk about today. And I think to, to notice, we need to understand what we mean by this. What, what do we mean by growth? Do we understand how spiritual growth happens in us? Because Jesus wants to make sure his disciples understand this. So we're going to give you three basic things. The first thing is this. Growth is a gift. It's a gift. The Bible says, Jesus says in, in John 15, he starts off by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now this metaphor of a grapevine is something that we as probably mostly Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are familiar with from verses like this. But a Jewish person would have thought back to the book of Isaiah. Because in the book of Isaiah and other places in the Old Testament, Israel is seen as the vine. Israel is the picture of the vine. Usually in a context of, I planted you as the vine, and you guys have never responded the way I wanted you to. That's usually when God, how God brings it up. So Jesus is saying here, let's be clear now, the issue is not about Israel, it's about me. I am the true vine. That's not a diss to Israel. They're God's chosen people. God still has a plan for Israel, I believe. But this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I am the vine. And guess what? My father is the vine dresser. Now, he, he's saying something in, in identifying himself in this, in this metaphor. He's saying something about the relationship between him and the Father that's really important for us to understand. He's saying that basically, as the vine, if you can picture a grapevine, the grapevine is in complete surrender to the vine dresser. The grapevine doesn't say, Excuse me, vine dresser, could you take a little off the top over here? Could you prune this down over here? No, it's just, it's there. And whatever the vine dresser wants the vine to become is what it becomes. He has the control. In a very real sense, the vine submits to the vine dresser. Now, this is really important. It's important because Jesus is saying this is the thing that we want to look at. This is the sort of foundation for growth. The foundation of growth, if we're going to grow like Jesus and with Jesus, is to understand our submission before him. That as Jesus submits to the Father, so we submit to Jesus. Lord, I, I don't control what you want. You control what you want. I don't dictate to you what I want the, the end product to be. You dictate to me what you want the end product to be. You prune where you want to prune. 
This is important too because it's important to recognize submission is not about, okay, I'm going to submit to God and then I'm going to be really submissive and that's going to earn growth. No. Submission, our submission to God is not how we're earning growth or producing growth. Submission is how we receive growth, how we receive the work that God, only God can do. Jesus talking about his own ministry earlier in John chapter 12 talked about how, I don't have my notes here, so I have to come back and read this. He talked about how that the time had come for him to enter into his glory. And he says, I tell you the truth, the kernel of wheat is, is planted in the soil and dies. Unless it's planted in the soil, it dies. It remains alone. But it, its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. In other words, he says, I have to follow the plan that God has for me that is submitting unto God even unto death if I want to see multiplication, if I want to see fruit. I've got to be willing to submit that way. Now, he, he goes on to say to his disciples in verse 2, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Or that could be translated, he lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, the reason I, I said that, that word can be translated lifts up is one, because it can, but also because I think that's probably the implication here. In this immediate context, it's pretty clear Jesus is wanting to say something that's encouraging to his disciples. He's wanting to secure them in his relationship with him. So he's not wanting to scare them or, 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 or warn them necessarily. And so there's this idea that the, the main thing he's talking about here is, is it's the branches, they have to receive the work of the vine dresser. The vine does that. He submits to the vine dresser. But we as the branches of the vine, we do that. We have to receive that. We need the vine dresser. In other words, we need God to do his work of pruning where we need to be pruned, of propping up where we need to be propped up. If he doesn't do the work, we never bear fruit. We don't grow properly. We don't grow in a way that he intends us to grow. And, he, and to be clear with his disciples, he says, listen, in case they're fearing, you, you get a sense that he says, listen, you are already uh, clean, he says in verse 3, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, it's interesting here because he seems to be alluding to maybe what happened a couple chapters before this in John 13, when Jesus was, washes the disciples' feet and he says to them, you know, you are, you know, when Peter says, oh, Lord, don't wash my feet, you have no part of me. And he says, look, if I don't wash you, you, you don't have any part of me. And so he says, okay, clean my whole body. You know, and he says, no, no, you're already clean, but not all of you. And, and, and so there's this idea that he's wanting to, to pronounce them. Don't forget that at this point in John 15, Judas has already left. And so he's wanting to say to these guys, listen, you are clean. I've pronounced you clean. You've been prepared by the Father. You've been pruned. You are abiding. You are plugged in, I should say, connected to the vine as you're supposed to be. Now, interesting, this idea of receiving this cleansing of the word. God speaks and it cleans us. It, it, it washes things away. Jesus uses the same, or Paul uses the same idea in Ephesians chapter 5, doesn't he? When he's talking about husbands and wives. He talks about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and how Christ washes her in the water of his word. He cleanses her, right? He talks about that. It's important that we, we see this, that this idea of being cleansed, again, it's not us cleaning ourselves per se. It's us receiving a cleansing. It's a gift. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul said a similar thing. In Ephesians 2.8, he says, he talks about it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, and that's a gift of God. 
It's a gift. The reason I want this to be understood is when we talk about these, we're going to start talking about what our responsibility is in growth in a minute. But we, we won't understand our responsibility if we think that, that growth is something other than a gift. Are you following me? We have to know we need what only God can produce in our life. We are only the branches. Christ is the vine and God is the vine dresser. He has to do this work. We're dependent upon him for this work. And he, listen, he wants to do this work. He wants to gift us, grace us with growth. That's his plan. So growth is a gift. But also, look at verse 4. Growth is a process. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Don't get those two mixed up. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Notice, for without me, you can do just a little bit. No, he says nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. In other words, he's saying, listen, it's a process that is dependent upon a person. Who's the person? Jesus, him doing that work through his Holy Spirit. So this growth process is dependent upon Jesus. Listen, if you do all the right things, if you go, okay, I'm supposed to read my Bible, as we'll see in a minute. I'm supposed to pray, as we'll see in a minute. I'm supposed to be at church, as we, we may talk about later on. If you do all those right things, and Jesus is not in that process, nothing is going to happen. It's not going to happen. And Jesus wants us to know this. And so he even says, he gets, this is where he gets very serious, and this is where it gets very sobering. In verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, we can interpret this in a lot of different ways. Personally, I think Jesus here is talking about not the disciples, but what may be false converts. People who have a form of religion, but they deny the power of God. They, they don't actually put their faith in Jesus. Now, let me kind of pause on this. Let me kind of go on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's a really important, eternally important rabbit trail. You, you need to understand, if you're here today, you need to understand the importance of you being in right relationship with God through Jesus. If you don't get anything else today, you need to know, listen, you need to know that no religious work, no matter how Christian it looks, can save you, can make you right with God. You go, well, I didn't know I wasn't right with God. Well, I'll tell you, if, you, if you've ever read the New Testament, and if you haven't, I really encourage you to do this. If you read the Gospels, look at how Jesus lived. Look at how Jesus lived his life, how he loved the Father, how he loved his disciples, how he reached out to people that were considered untouchable. And you think, do you live that way? Because if you don't live that way, you fall short of the glory of God, just like I do. I told the story many times of a university student that we were ministering to when we lived in London, and and she had never read the Gospels before, and so she had a Bible. So I said, read the book of Matthew, come back to me next week, tell me what you think. And she read the book of Matthew, and she came back, and I said, what do you think? And this was her words. Everyone in there screwed up. 
except for Jesus. I'm like, <laughs> Got it. you're perceptive. And so I go, and she goes, I guess that's why we're supposed to trust in him. Exactly. We have to trust in him. Jesus is, is giving me sobering words to make sure that we understand this. This is not just we receive some good standards from Jesus. We need the very life of Jesus in the same way a branch needs the life of the vine to actually produce anything good. We need this. It's not just about principles. It's about being connected to a person in a real, eternal relationship based on His grace that we receive by faith. Now, He's a person we dare not ignore because of that. So also, though, look at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me, notice, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And this is where he, he really wants to make sure that we understand how we're involved in the process. That This growth is about relationship, and it's a relationship that requires commitment. I don't know if any of you have relationships that don't require commitment. I wonder, do you have any relationships with anybody that really don't require commitment of some kind? If you can think of them, you probably have to admit they're not really relationships, they're acquaintances. Because once you go from uh, relation, or acquaintance to relationship, the, the, the difference is now I have some sort of obligation. Oh, I know that person, I will call them sometime. Or if they call me, I would feel obligated to say, yes, we should go out and have a cup of coffee together. That's what, in a sense, kind of connects relationship. There's a, some sort of a commitment. And the more intimate the, the, the relationship, the higher the commitment. So we're not saying anything new. This shouldn't be surprised at anybody. We're talking about here, listen, growth, the process of growth is a relationship. It's about us growing in a closeness with our God and with His people. And that requires commitment. Specifically, Jesus says, it's a commitment to me. And that commitment is shown practically or practiced by us abiding in him and his words abiding in us. What does that mean? Well, let's not get too confused by the word abide. I know it's not a word we use uh, very often. But it simply just means to dwell or to stay in or to continue in. It's the idea that basically... I want to know Jesus through his word. I want to stay connected to him. I want to continue in this relationship by continuing to hear, receive, and do what his word says. I want to know his word. Now, this isn't just an intellectual exercise. It is a relationship. Maybe a good analogy might be this way. You know that the person that you care for most, the, 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 the person that you're, you're married to or you want to be married to someday, you know that that person has written some books that talk about the kind of person they are and the kinds of things they've had, relationships they've had with other people, and you want to pour over those things because every time you pour over those books that they've written, you think, wow, what a great person. It just affirms why you love them and, and why you know they love you. That's exactly what it is. You pour over God's word. You, you, you read it. You receive it with meekness, as what James says, because you want to know the God of the Bible. Now, you, you guys know who go to servant, who come to servant church on a regular basis. You know the emphasis we put on Scripture. We, we, we teach Scripture in a very systematic way, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. 
expository teaching is a very big deal to us. It's a big deal to us not because we just want your guys to have heads full of knowledge. We want you not just to know the book, we want you to know the God of the book. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that we as individuals, as well as a church, have a responsibility to be feeding on the Word of God. God, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to know what you're like. I want to see what you say about yourself. How many of us have felt that God is one way and realized very quickly we're completely wrong? Have you ever felt like God just doesn't care about you? Have you ever felt like God ever hates you? Have you ever felt felt like God's not there? You, You realize all those things are lies, right? They're all not true. And you know why we're not true? Because of what Jesus says. Because of who he is and what he says. And so we want to abide in his word. We mature through abiding in his word. But also, he says, that turns into prayer. Notice he says, you will ask what you you desire, and it shall be done for you. Again, this is not just get whatever you want, but there is something about an expectation. I know my heavenly father through the book that he wrote, through the the revelation of his own son. I know what my father is like, and I expect him to meet me where I'm at, to help me, to cause me to grow. I believe he, he not only can do this, he wants to do this. And therefore, I expect him to do this. That's what we mean by asking what we desire. We have a longing to see God do what God says he wants to do. Now, this is important because it's easy to go to a church, especially a church that teaches you the Bible frequently and consistently, okay? It's easy to go to a church like that and think, yeah, okay, I love scripture. I listen to John's really long sermons. And actually not have a relationship with God through the scripture that you're meant to have. The author of Hebrews talks about this issue. He's given a strong warning in Hebrews chapter 5 against not maturing, against not growing. Here's what he writes. He says, we have, been, we have much to say to you about these things, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk, he says, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food, he says, is for those, is for the mature. Notice, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. By consistent use, continual use. This is what we're talking about. When Jesus says, look, abide in me, he's talking about, when he says, let your word, my words abide in you, he's saying, Lord, I want to treat you as I say you are, Lord. I want to hear what you say, and I want to do it. I'll tell you what, if you find it hard to trust God for your salvation, if you find it difficult to believe that God's grace is enough, try to walk in obedience. Because you know what happens? You walk in obedience and you feel like, man, I fail so much. And guess what you come to the conclusion? I have to be saved by grace or I can't be saved. It's amazing how if we, if we do less than walk in obedience to God, if we don't abide in his word, we see what he's calling us to and see it's a standard beyond us, we tend to think, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. But when we see that the standard is way beyond us, we know I have to be saved by God's grace. There's no other way. And listen, this is how we grow in grace. 
It's not by just understanding it conceptually. It's by experiencing it practically. Because we are wanting to walk with God. We're wanting to grow with God. We're letting his word abide in us. We're wanting to do what his word says. And we realize, God, I can't do this apart from you. This is what Jesus is after. This is the process that he wants to take us on. I want you to think back at 2018. Just 2018. We don't have to go back too far. Don't worry. Just 2018. And ask yourself a serious question. Answer this question just to yourself. What's your relationship like with Jesus through his word? What does your prayer life look like? What happens when you read the scripture? Maybe I should say, do you read the scripture? I remember being really shocked one time. We were doing a a Christianity Explored course, and um, about three-fourths of the people there were, were part of Servants Church, and we were encouraging people to read the Gospel of Mark, specifically the guests. Would they read the Gospel of Mark? That's what the Christianity Explorer course is kind of based on. So we gave out little Gospels of Mark, and in our small group, I said, so how many of you guys have read the Gospel of Mark already or, or are familiar with it? And only one person in my group from our church had actually read the Gospel of Mark. And I, I, thankfully, I kind of held my shock you know, because I didn't want to intimidate the people that came. But afterwards, I was thinking, what? How, how is it you could go to a church like, how, how have I failed as a pastor? I've failed as a pastor. You haven't even read the Gospel of Mark. This is why we give you a, a reading program as an option. You can choose your own reading program to make sure you go through at least the New Testament every year and the Old Testament every two or three years. Why? Just because we want to hear what God says and respond to him. Could it be that maybe you haven't grown as much as you would like because you don't abide in his word? Or could it be you're, you're maybe more like me. I'm a fairly disciplined guy. I actually finished my Bible reading goals early this year. That's how spiritual I am. <laughs> so you're disciplined. You tick the boxes. But actually, do you really meet with Jesus? Are you there with him? This is all basic stuff, isn't it? This is all, it seems to be all kind of like reception year Christianity, but it's so important. We have to go back to the basics if we're going to grow. We've got to understand this stuff. It also is about us praying. It's about living before, at the throne of God, before the throne of grace. Someone was, it wasn't someone I knew very well, but I'd overheard a conversation, someone talking about that they had a winter home in Florida. And I thought, that sounds nice. And they're talking about their winter, their home in Florida, and they were saying how, um, yeah, and it's just been like years since we've been able to go there. They're talking about what an amazing home is, and they never go to it. And I just thought, that's insane. But isn't that what we do all the time? We have access to the very throne room of God because of Jesus. And how often do we go there? This is not me trying to guilt you. This is me saying, guys, God wants us to grow. We can grow. But this is a relationship that we're called to commit to. Hey, it's Jesus who's going to do his work. It's him that we're dependent upon. So we're abiding in him by faith. We're holding on to him by faith. But our part is actually saying, okay, God, I, I want that growth. I want to be with you. 
You see, here's, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that anybody who's been born again, what Jesus called being born again, someone who has put their faith in Christ, his, that he is who he said he is, the very only son of God, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins, that he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven and he's coming back. These realities of who Jesus is, if we believe those things and our faith is in him, we've been, what Jesus says, born again. And if we've been born again, I don't believe we can become unborn again. God will make sure this process happens. But you know what I've seen in my own life and other Christians' life? People who are born again, but they're miserable. You know why? Because they're not growing. And you know why they're not growing? It's not because Jesus isn't filling his part. They're miserable because God has to chase them down to get their attention. He has to get us to say, I'm here. That home in Florida you keep ignoring, still open. <laughs> Come into my presence anytime. Hear my word. Now, it's important for us to recognize in this, okay, we, we, we've seen growth as a gift, growth as a process, but the reason God wants us to, to grow is because it does glorify God. Look what Jesus says in verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. You'll bear much fruit. God is glorified. What does it mean to glorify? Listen, to glorify means to demonstrate the unique value of something. That's what it means to glorify. We've talked about this many times, right? Proverbs talks about the, the glory of a young man is his strength, the glory of an old man is his gray hair, or in my case, no hair, right? In other words, when you're young, what you, you are as you're young, you, start, you know you're kind of not young anymore when you're not as strong as you used to be. I worked out with my 18-year-old son this week, like three days ago, and I'm still totally sore. I can barely lift my arms over my head because I'm not as strong as I used to be. But the glory of an old man is the fact that the gray hair is supposed to be a sign of wisdom. I can say gray beard, maybe. That you've learned something through life. It's, there's something unique about being young and strong, something unique about being old and wise. So when the Bible talks about glorifying God, it's talking about what is unique about God. There's no one like Him. There's none like Him. And we see that glory specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus is saying here, we also glorify God. Listen, we, we glorify God. We demonstrate that unique value of what, who, God is, who God is and what He's like as we grow. Specifically, as we grow to be made like Jesus. That's what I believe He means by fruit. As we grow in love. In fact, what does He say in verse 9? He says, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. I love this. Jesus, he's calling his disciples to respond practically, but he's saying, I want you to do what I've done. Jesus is setting himself forth, listen, that he is the demonstration of God's love. And not just a demonstration of God's love in some sort of just conceptual sense. He, he's saying, I want to demonstrate to you what it looks like to be loved by God. He's saying, I've been so loved by the Father, that's what's motivated and dictated and set the standard of how I love you. Do, do you realize that? That Jesus didn't, wasn't loved by God, wasn't loved by the Father because he did such a good job in his ministry on earth. But Jesus was loved by the Father because they've had an eternal relationship. 
They've always been God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are love. God is love. That love has always been there. And so what Jesus is talking about here is he's saying, listen, there's a reality of unchanging love that I want you to grow in. Paul prayed this, didn't he? Didn't Paul pray this for his, the church in Ephesus? He says, I pray that you would know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of God's love for you. That you would know what passes, surpasses understanding. This is what God wants us to grow in. That you would know that because of Jesus, you've been brought into this eternal love relationship. That's amazing, isn't it? The problem is it's so familiar conceptually and so unfamiliar experientially we just kind of let it slide. This is why we don't grow. We don't grow because we, we would neglect this reality that Jesus commands us to grow in. He says, listen, I have, as I've loved you, abide in my love. As the Father's loved me, abide in my love. I've loved you just the way he loved me. It's that eternal, committed, perfect love. He goes on to say in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Notice he says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying really clear, the reason I've obeyed the Father, been obedient even to the point of death, which is what he would be doing in a matter of hours from this time. I did that because I know the Father loves me and he wouldn't command anything of me that wasn't based on that love. This is what God wants us to grow in. He wants us to grow in, in, in this kind of love. That we recognize that God in his love expresses a perfect authority. Can, can I ask you a very serious question? Do you honestly believe that you can do a better job ruling your life than God can? Do you think you actually love yourself more or in a, in a more superior way than God does? And let me be really clear, your problem isn't that you don't love yourself enough. You love yourself too much, and you love yourself wrongly. That's our problem. We love ourselves the wrong way. But God loves us perfectly. So when he commands us of something, he does so out of love. Jesus is saying, this is why I've obeyed, and I'm calling you to obey the same way. That You would know the unique value of God's love. Verse 11, similar thing. He says, these things I've spoken to you. Notice, he says that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. What joy is he talking about? The joy that Jesus has always had, that God the Son has always had with God the Father. Enjoying relationship. Jesus said, I want you to understand this. I want you to experience this. The experience of an abiding joy. See, this is what the author uh, the half-brother of Jesus, Jude, is talking about at the last bit of his little postcard epistle. In Jude, he says this. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, that's faith in Jesus, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit, that's letting the Holy Spirit lead and dictate your prayers and empower your prayers. He says, Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He doesn't say, Keep yourself lovable. Because you're not lovable, neither am I. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Abide in the love of God, is what Jesus is saying here. 
Stay in that place where you say, okay, what's more important than anything else is that I grow in my understanding and my experience of the love that God the Father and God the Son have already always had. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life. Finish my sentence. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, Jesus doesn't just demonstrate God's love enjoyed. You know, he enjoys the Father's love, so he obeys. He enjoys the Father's love because he knows it doesn't change. He enjoys the Father's love, and so he has joy. He does express what it's like to, you know, he does demonstrate that, what it's like to enjoy the Father's love. But also, listen, he also demonstrates what it looks like to show the Father's love, to not just enjoy it vertically, but to give it out horizontally. Look at verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my what? Commandment. See, love grows in obedience. Let me ask you a question. What action is God calling you to take? Well, I don't know. I think you probably do. In your heart of hearts, there's probably something that God's calling you to do and you need to do it. Don't think too big picture. Think practically. Think small. What is it, something that you think, okay, if you were to ask God right now, maybe do that right now in your seat, in your heart, ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where am I not obeying? Does a scripture come to mind? Does an action come to mind? Something maybe you should stop, something maybe you should pursue? Love grows in obedience. Do you know what God gets out of our obedience? Do you know what God gets out of it? Nothing. Do you know what we get out of our obedience? Everything. Love grows in obedience. He said, he said this is so important, he said it at the end of the section in verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Isn't it great that God commands us to love each other? Because if he didn't command it, if it was optional, we wouldn't do it. But because it's a command, we think, oh, I've got to love these people. <laughs> but we grow. We benefit. Haven't you experienced that? Come on, Servant Church, we've experienced that, haven't we? Yep. Haven't we experienced the blessing? We, we get it wrong, but isn't it been a blessing to see how people meet each other's needs? Why do they do that? Oh, they're really nice people. No. I know you. You're not that nice. <laughs> We do it because of what God's doing. Because we're learning to love by the power of the Spirit the way Jesus loves. We're growing in obedience. He says in verse 13, listen. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Love grows in sacrifice. What need is God calling you to meet? It could be something very simple, kind of applying this to, obviously we're talking about in, in, a, in a general sense, what we believe God wants for Servants Church in 2019. Maybe God's calling you to, to commit to a ministry team, and you're going, ah, but I, man, I don't want to miss a service, or I especially don't want to work with kids. Two and a half hours with those kids, oy. It's a sacrifice. Love grows in sacrifice. 
Maybe the whole idea of giving at church just freaks you out. I hate when John talks about money, which is why you like servants, because we don't already talk about money. But maybe that kind of proves what you really worship. The stuff in your wallet. Maybe God's calling you to sacrifice. I don't know, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying, what's God telling you to do? Then he says in verse 14 to 15, notice he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He says, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you see what Jesus says there? He says, look, I'm not calling you servants, though interesting, how did the disciples identify themselves, especially the ones that wrote epistles as servants, didn't they? Yeah, Jesus says, I'm going to relate to you as friends. Why? What's the difference between a servant and a friend? Does a friend not have to obey? No, not in this context. No way. The difference is a, a servant obeys even if they don't, without understanding. A friend obeys in understanding. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm giving you understanding right now. The reason I'm calling you to live this way is clear. So, so if you're in a situation where you're having a hard time in your relationships and you're going, I don't understand what God wants me to do. Yes, you do. If you're a Jesus follower, you know God wants you to love. God wants you to forgive. And God wants you to commit. That's what he wants. Now, you might need some specific wisdom about how that looks, but you know what God wants. You're not a servant, you're a friend. He's given you his word. He's made it clear what he wants. See, love grows in understanding. So ask yourself this question. What truth is God calling you to grasp? What is it? Maybe you've heard stuff over and over again at church, or maybe there's something that you've kind of heard people mention, you're going, I don't get that. Maybe God's saying, I want you to get a hold of that. I want you to understand that better. I want you to be willing to be diligent and look into that. What does my word say about that? In a church like ours, it could be the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you come from backgrounds where, where people are very open to the charismatic gifts, and you kind of get frustrated because we don't stir people up in the same way that you're used to. Or some of you come from backgrounds where they didn't kind of were open to the charismatic gifts. And you get weirded out when someone prays in tongues. Maybe you need to grasp what the scripture actually says about these things. Maybe it has to do with marriage. You're wondering, what does God actually call me to in marriage? Maybe you need to figure this out. You need to go and say, God, what do you, how do I get a hold of what this says, what, this, what your word says about this, what you say about this, Jesus? Because love grows in understanding. Jesus is saying, listen, I've loved you as friends, and that friendship is dictated by me revealing stuff to you. Do you see how this connects to, if you abide in me, my words abide in you? <laughs> Lastly, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. Do you notice that? Jesus says, this is, this is the reason God saves us, is that we'd be fruitful. Let me say something really clear. If you bear no fruit, you're not connected to the vine. That's what the scripture says. Now, you know I believe if you're born again, you can't become unborn again. I believe strongly the scripture teaches that once God has you, he has you forever 
and he never lets you go, and you can't even jump out of his hand. That's my conviction. But listen, don't go, that's cool, I'm in God's hand, I said the sinner's prayer, I've been baptized, whatever it is you want to put your faith in, and think, I don't really have to bear fruit, because you've been chosen to bear fruit. What's that fruit? To love, to learn to love the way Jesus loves. If you say, I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. That's what the scripture says. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to say to you what God wants for you. But that's not even my main point. My point is this about love. Listen, Jesus says, I chose you. You didn't chose me. The disciples didn't go, hey, have you heard about that new rabbi, Jesus? Let's go hear what he has to say. Hey, dude, can I be on your team? No, Jesus saw these guys who had a good fishing business going. He says, you know, I want you to just drop that and follow me and I'll teach you to have fish men. Wow, okay. The Matthew tax collector, hated by everybody but making some good money. Now I want you to stop that and I want you to follow me. He chose them. He chose you. Do you understand that you didn't come to Christ on your own initiative? Jesus initiated that. I'm not saying he didn't have a choice in the matter. I'm saying he's the one who drew you to himself. It was his Holy Spirit that showed you you need Jesus. It's his Holy Spirit that shows you why Jesus is trustworthy. It's his Holy Spirit that's telling you, trust Jesus. That's what he's doing. Yeah, you have a choice to make, obviously. But I'm saying he's the one who initiates this. This is important because when he's talking about love here and loving like him, love grows intentionally. It, it makes choices. Now, you've heard maybe people say love is just a choice. No, it's way bigger than that. God's love, is, God is love. He defines love. It's not just God the Father going, I choose to, to love the Son. The Son, I choose to love the Father. It's not the way it is. There's a passion and a joy. It's, it's a fer- there's a fervency in the love of God. But the truth is, it doesn't grow in us without choice. So the question is, what's the next step that God's calling you to take today? What are you going to choose to do today? Pray again right now. God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? For some of you, it may be that what you need to do today is for the first time, admit that you're actually a sinner who needs saving. Maybe that's what you need to do for the first time. That's not me condemning you. We're all in that same boat. We're all sinners who need saving. And maybe that's where you need to start. That God's saying, stop thinking that you're a pretty good guy. You just need a little bit more help. And recognize, no, you're a wretched man that you are. The only one who can save you is Jesus. Maybe what God's saying to you is saying, look, I want you to be honest with somebody about that sin that seems to have a hold on you. Find someone you can trust and get some accountability so you don't keep falling to the same sin over and over again. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Choose to do that. Maybe what it is is that God's calling you to actually get aside Get alone with him today. To, to actually, you know, instead of like, oh, I did my religious thing, let's watch a movie. 
that before any of that kind of thing that you're going to do, you just kind of, you sneak away. You go for a walk. You go into your room. I got to go into the toilet. That's the only place I can get privacy. And you just get alone and say, God, I need to start meeting with you. I want 2019. I want to look back at the end of 2019 and say, Lord, I love you more now than I did a year ago. You know, I have to confess that in preparing this, it was really tough because I couldn't say that about 2018. I couldn't, I couldn't say, Lord, I love you more now than I did way back a year ago. I couldn't say that. But what blows me away is that that doesn't change God's love for me. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't change. And if I abide in that love, I will grow. See, it'll be great if we get the Thorpe's and Andrews site sorted and have a second service there. Maybe even, I actually prayed for two buildings, so I went for the second one to come up. And, you know, actually get another <laughs> building that comes up. It would be awesome if that takes place. It would be awesome. I'm asking that God would, would bring us to 200 people average on a Sunday morning. I just, this is just, I, I want to start praying specifically. God might not do that. It's up to him. But I'm saying, God, I want to keep asking for this. Not, not just bums in the seat, people that want to come and want to grow as disciples. But you know what? If that stuff happens and we look back next year and go, but we don't really love any more than we did last last year, we failed. We, we've missed exactly what Jesus is saying. But listen, if our church shrinks a little bit and there's not so much money in the kettle, but we can look back next year and go, man, we love each other more than we imagined we would and we love the Lord more than we imagined we could, and we are so sure of his love for us, then guess what? God is glorified. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that you would make this a reality. Lord, we really do ask, God, that you would give an increase, Lord. We believe, Lord, that you're the God who brings increase, and you're glorified in the increase. But, Lord, we don't want those to be just outward signs. We want there to be an inward transformation. We really do want to be sure of your love and, and have the joy that you have. We really do want to lay down our lives for one another. Lord, we really do want to meet you as we read your word and as we pray. Father, we, we want you to be seen by us and be seen by others through us. We really desire that growth. Lord, do it. Lord, may, if you, Lord, if you come back in 2019, that's the best. <laughs> come on. But Lord, if you don't come back, may we be able to look back and say, you have grown us great things you have done. So Lord, we commit today to you and we trust you for 2019. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.